This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. It's very different this week. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. I, I, I'm saying this to your face now, which yeah. is not mattering at all to no. the people at home. Not even but a little bit. What I love about this is, is I can see your enthusiasm. Like I can always hear it. It always comes through the microphone, obviously, for anybody who knows. Like there have been times where you're just like, I just came out of the gate way too fast. <laughs> now being able to see that and and how happy you are. That's every episode. Show, yeah, it means a little something more to me. And hopefully it's going to come across the rest of this show. You know, maybe we'll talk over each other a little less well, I uh, because we can see it, each other's mouths moving. But I feel like we could no also problems. do the thing where we, I, and I still don't know how to do this on zoom, but I see, you know, people like we'll do our department wide zoom calls. There's like a little graphic you can put up. That's like a hand raised. Oh I yeah. I, I don't know how to do that on here. Um, so a little bit of backstory for the very first time ever. Sam and I have turned the cameras on to record the show before the show. Um, I just decided to do it. So as, as some of you are aware, I do some, some sports broadcasting work uh, outside of my MILB duties. And we started doing uh, our, our coaches shows for university of Denver basketball and lacrosse, um, which I do uh, radio broadcast for. We started doing those over zoom with the cameras on. So they're radio shows. So I record them and we just put them out on the, the ESPN radio affiliate here in Denver. But uh, I get to see the coaches and our, our sports information director and stuff. And it just makes it like a lot more connected feeling. So I decided today we signed on for this call. And I said to Sam, like, why don't we put the cameras on today? Now here's the difference. Sam is somebody who is professional. He's got the, the backdrop photo, which is city field and a gorgeous sunset. He's got a, a Nashville Sounds hat on today. I am in my uh, converted uh, closet in my office, which I made into like a little recording studio. It looks like I'm being held hostage. Like it looks like I have been abducted by aliens and they threw me into a roof, a room with like soundproofing material and I'm being held here against my will. Does it not? Like it's dark. The lighting's terrible. I obviously haven't showered today. I'm wearing a pullover of a, an Italian baseball team. I'm a mess. Well, when you said Italian baseball team, I was like, at least you're sticking to your true self. But then when you said I'm a mess, I was like, well, maybe we don't need to go off and say that. Um, but I have a background because, as I've said on the show before, I live in Brooklyn. I, I have just a small studio apartment to myself. I don't need you seeing what's like I'm standing or like sitting in front of my bathroom wall right now or ah. bathroom door right now so like you don't need to see look at city field like look how gorgeous it is, it is to watch a baseball game there's tons of fans behind me i guess in this virtual space um this is actually from a game I that, that i i went to see between i, I can't remember I, I feel like they may have been playing the rockies but i went with our own josh jackson ah um, the man himself the man himself and, and our boss dan marinas so i, I have great memories the other man that. himself yeah um, so it's just a happier thing for you to look at Tyler. I'm really I, doing this for you. Oh, well, than to look I, at my, makes, 
me feel tired. tremendously selfish then because I'm making you look at soundproofing material in a dimly lit room. That's literally, I can't fully extend my elbows to either side of me. That's how small this room is. I will say this. It does make it seem like you are the professional one because you have like soundproof material around Man. you. Like you are doing it in a space that is conducive to recording. At I'm one in time my in my life, I was like, you know what I should do is try to get into like some more voiceover stuff. I love doing voiceover work. I find it very fun. But then I realized that I have a voice like Jerry Seinfeld. No one wants to listen to that, like trying to sell them cars or something like, hey, folks, how you doing? Even though that was a Jay Leno and not a Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld. Anyway, I'm all mixed up. It's, you know, the middle of the afternoon and I'm just waking up something. I don't know. Uh, but it's good to see your face, buddy. I haven't yeah, seen you, you in person in like a year and a half. It's been ridiculous. Uh, and, and I miss you guys. And so it's good to see you. Yeah, th this is much better than what we normally do, which is during company Zooms, we'll like text each other like, oh, you look nice today. <laughs> You're in the corner, just, but you look, things look just good. Dumb jokes. Uh, yeah. That's what I do. Whenever we have a, a company Zoom and, and Josh is on with us, uh, I always text him jokes from the, the British sitcom peep show that he got both of us into uh, that I am now obsessed with. And I'll just text him like peep show lines in the middle of meetings and uh, he, Josh finally got to the point where he does not have his phone next to him during zoom calls anymore because he doesn't want to start laughing when I send him jokes. So, uh, you know, ruin that, um, to anybody listening right now, they're like, just get to the baseball talk. Um, so obviously this visual element has not added anything to all of you, but you know, one of these weeks I'll put like a, a like a real shirt on and then we'll cut out like a, like a video clip. And we'll send it along and we'll use that as our teaser for the podcast or something. And then people will be like, that's what that guy looks like. His beard is as annoying as his voice. Talking about me, not you, because you all. I was going to say, yeah, as another bearded person who's also <laughs> immediately when you said that, I'm like, I'm going to have to put a button down on now just to record this show. Like, that, that's not something I was thinking about. The good news is started. now I can just rotate uh, in my collection of minor league hats. And now I can just wear one episode by episode. And we can cut a little clip out, send it out there. We're just game planning this. See, there we go. Line. There we go. Yeah, we're, we're, we we're doing this on the show, which is definitely how you should game plan a podcast. Always. While the you're production recording. meetings come during the recording. It's great. It's very professional. And uh, with that, we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, the official podcast of minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon. Did we introduce ourselves? Sam Dykstra is in New York City. If you're listening, you've probably heard this, uh, this little ditty before. Hi, Sam. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be talking baseball with you today. Yes, me too. Me too. It, there, it, we're sitting here on January 27th. Um, our, our own Kelsey Hannigan slacked me earlier today just to be like a reminder this time last year, I was writing a story about uh, top prospects who were invited to big league camp and who, who are ones to watch. And they haven't really come out yet. We haven't, right. I think the A's had some non-roster invites uh, that came out. Tyler Soderstrom, their their first round pick last year, was the big name there. No, no top 100 names, but um, it, it is a different time in baseball. We're still kind of holding out. You may have heard the story this week about certain you know municipal leaders in, in Arizona reaching out to MLB asking to delay spring training. MLB saying spring training still on course to start when it's when it normally did. We talked last week to Joss, Justin Foscue of the uh, Texas Rangers. He was already in Arizona, so. Things also are kind of confused by that push um, and not to, 
you know, take a stance one way or another because public health concerns are obviously very real. But, uh, for example, the Chicago White Sox and Los Angeles Dodgers play in Glendale uh, at uh, Camelback Ranch. Also in Glendale are the Arizona Coyotes who are currently playing games in front of fans, I believe. Indoors. Indoors. So I'm a little confused about that whole thing, but obviously it's uh, uh, a very complex and fluid situation. Uh, But yeah, it's just, you know, there are so many moving targets, moving goalposts and all those things getting set for spring training. Ordinarily right now, we'd be two and a half weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting and top prospects getting there and all of that. We did discuss a few weeks ago, the potential that spring training for double A and class A would be delayed. Um, So we're still waiting on a whole bunch of stuff to get fully fleshed out for 2021. Yeah, I think fluid is the exact word that came into mind for me. Um, so much is fluid about what we're going through right now. Uh, again, can't stress enough, the, the plan is right now to start spring training on time. We're going to continue on with that. Um, as clubs announce non-roster invites, we'll, we'll start writing those up. Like I said, we only have the A's right now. Um, hopefully more teams are going to be coming in in the coming days and weeks. But uh, it, it definitely still has a different feeling to late January. We saw the, the hot stove really heat up this week with guys signing George Springer was made official just the other day, JT Real Muto going back to the Phillies, Aronson Simmons to the twins. Um, you know, a lot of parts that are still moving, not just on the schedule front, but on the transaction front. Well, let's dive in and start talking some baseball and, uh, we are going to start with the news of yesterday, the big, big news for the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is Larry Walker is still a (laughs) Hall of Famer. The biggest news of the Hall of Fame selection in the last two years. I can't think of any bigger headline than my childhood hero going into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if if Tyler said this yet. So if you're new to the podcast, that is Tyler reporting from Denver, Colorado (laughs) on uh, Larry Walker's now year old it's been a year since we had that SpongeBob shirt. That's how yeah, well for it has. Probably. It has been since that entered the national baseball lexicon. Very right. Larry Walker in a SpongeBob shirt. Um, obviously, the big news is that Baseball Hall of Fame results came in from the BBWAA. No, no players got to the seventy-five percent mark. So, the last year's ceremony was delayed, obviously because of COVID. Um, so, Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, and Ted Simmons will all be going in this summer. There will still be something, hopefully. They'll be able to put something together. Hopefully everybody will be safe and, and you know able to, to gather in Cooperstown for that. But there won't be any 2021 inductees. Kurt Schilling missed uh, the boat by, I think, 16 votes. Um, there are some other promising moves in there. I know Scott Rowland made a jump. Billy Wagner made a jump. Todd, Todd Helton, Helton made, a, made jump. a jump. Yeah, Todd Helton, I think, was at 44% uh, to con- continue our Rockies theme here. Um, Roger Clemens and so Barry very Bonds. Little. We have to have a theme for something baseball related in this city. We have so very little. Yes, sure. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are right there, but I think they're going into their 10th year next year, which is going to be. Same with Kurt Schilling. Same with Kurt Schilling, for sure. Um, if you haven't heard, Kurt Schilling has asked the Hall of Fame to be taken off the ballot because he's upset at receiving, I think, around 71% of the vote, which is very close to being inducted. Like he has one year left. He could just try to campaign for those votes and and obviously a big hang-up with him is is the character clause which is in there it is something that voters are asked to consider uh and when you ask you know a bunch of journalists to consider getting votes and it's somebody who in the past has has talked about hanging journalists like that's i'm sorry you're gonna lose votes um so instead of trying to reform himself or try to uh, share his point of view or you know fix the things in some way 
uh, for his past behavior. And there, there's a lot more than just the hang the journalist thing. They just recently he's talked about, uh, you know, supporting the insurrection on the Capitol. And we, can, we don't have to get all into that right now. But um, yeah, Kurt Schilling has asked to be taken off the ballot. We'll see if that's going to come. But next the year also actually did uh, issue a statement today, I believe, in which they said that they will not be doing that. Um, well, the BBWA asked right. that, but the Hall of Fame is the one I think. Right. The Hall of Fame will make the will make the determination. Right. The voters have said we're not going to we're not going to take him off the ballot. Right. So we'll, we'll see what's going to come of that. Um, if he doesn't get on it or does get on and he loses votes, he'll be up for the Veterans Committee and we'll have this discussion all over again in a couple of years. Uh, but David Ortiz is on the ballot next year. Alex Rodriguez is on the ballot next year. It's going to be crazy. The discourse we're going to have a year from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I will say if there is a year to have an offer, it is this year because right. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker and Ted Simmons, they will have their day in Cooperstown, which I think um, is great. And not right. just because I'm, I'm biased, obviously with the, uh, you know, somebody that I loved as a kid going into the hall of fame, Larry Walker, but I would have felt heartbroken for anybody. I mean, Derek Jeter, especially somebody who goes in um, the legend that he is, it would have been, and obviously he would have overshadowed, you know, even if Kurt Schilling had been elected this year, Derek Jeter is still the story for the hall of fame. And it would have been kind of a bummer if it was okay. Well, now you have to go in as part of two classes. Um, even more so for Larry Walker, because I think he's gotten, you know, 0.8% of the conversation about the class of 2021, uh, or the class of 2020, I should say. And uh, if he would have been, you know, knocked even further down the ladder by some more inductees. Yeah, I think you, you put it very well. If there was ever a year for an offer, this is a good time, because now you get to give those guys their day. Um, one other completely unrelated thing, you said that the picture that you took, you believed was from a game against the Rockies. I can see over your right shoulder in the banner uh, on the, the ribbon board, there is a Rockies logo. So very good memory, Sam. Wow. Very no, I, I also wanted you, I wanted you to turn and look as though you could see it. In see, the I, I, right. with the way this is mirrored, I don't even know which way I'm actually looking. So yeah. It was the other way. The yeah, other way. Your other left. <laughs> Um, but anyway, let's let's get into it. Uh, there were some deals made this week, and we will start with uh, uh, an apology to, to Pittsburgh Pirates fans, uh, at least on the major league side. But we're going to talk more about the prospect side. Jamison Tyone has been dealt, and if you are a, a Pirates fan, uh, now you got to watch the the guys who were your big two. Who uh, I actually got to broadcast those two guys together when they were in Altoona in 2012 coming up, but Garrett Cole and Jamison Tyone will now be towing the rubber as members of the rotation of the New York Yankees. The Yankees do send back a prospect package of four uh, pretty talented guys to the Pirates organization. Um, Sam, your thoughts on this group? There weren't any top 100 guys included, not even any top 10 Yankees prospects included, but an interesting group that the Pirates get in, uh, in the return for Jamison Tyone. Yeah, I mean, this kind of con continues – a lot of what's happened this postseason or, or off season, which is, I feel like there have been some big trades to happen, but there really haven't been that many top 100 names moved. The only one that really jumps to mind immediately is Luis Patino going from the Padres to the Rays. But it seems like teams have been able to pull off trades for depth. You know, I, I don't know what other offers were out there for Jameson Tyone, um, but let's say you could have had an offer for two top 10 Yankees prospects or four prospects and, and you add depth to your system don't know if that was out there again but the fact that the pirates that's what they ended up taking is just adding depth to the system is notable to me um and i, I want to apologize because i think i said last week like i don't know what assets the pirates still had really left 
Tyone apparently was one of them. You mentioned the Garrett Cole connection. Uh, I saw a lot of people banding about that. Garrett Cole knows Jameson Tyone's recovery better than probably anybody. They were very close when they were coming up through the pirate system. There's probably uh, no doubt that he shared information with the Yankees of like, hey, listen, things are going well. If you guys want to go after him, go do that. Um, so the Yankees, they don't have necessarily the big, big names uh, outside of Jason Dominguez in their system. And I know people are very high on Davey Garcia, but they do have a deep system and, and they dipped into that here, uh, trading four prospects, as, as Tyler mentioned, uh, Roanzi Contreras, Michael Escoto, Kanan Smith, and Miguel Yajure. Yajure is the big name of this group for now. He's the number 14 prospect in the pirate system. Uh, at this point, he made a couple appearances for the Yankees last season, all out of the bullpen. Three games, seven innings pitch, struck out eight, walked five. So the control wasn't quite there. Um, he doesn't have necessarily a plus pitch in his bag, but the cutter could be an above average offering. The changeup can be above average. He's got a fastball and a curveball too, and he usually throws the ball in the zone pretty well. Um, so you're looking at maybe a four or a five starter uh, there for the Pirates at a time when, you know, we talked to Will Crow about this. There are going to be opportunities to win spots in that Pirates rotation. Uh, I'm personally a fan of Roanzi Contreras. Um, I think what he's done at, at the lower levels of the Yankee system has been pretty special. Uh, he last threw 132 in a third innings at Class A Charleston in uh, 2019, the last time we had minor league baseball. He struck out 113, walked only 36. Again, somebody who doesn't have necessarily a plus pitch, but the fastball and changeup are his bread and butter when it comes to him. Both your Hurray and Contreras are on the 40 man, so a big reason for making this move uh, for the Yankees and involving these two guys in particular was to clear out a 40 man spot. Obviously Tyone takes one of them, um, but they were signing DJ LeMayhew. They needed a cl clear spot for that. They had Corey Kluber coming in as a free agent. They need a clear spot for that. Also there's rumors about them going after uh, an outfielder, potentially bringing back Brett Gardner. I think today it was announced that they signed Darren O'Day to their outfield or uh, to their bullpen. So the Yankees needed to clear some spots. This helps achieve that in some way. Uh, Pirates get a little bit deeper here. Again, it's, it's not going, this isn't the type of trade that's going to launch them into being a top five system. But if somebody like your Hurray can eat some innings this year, take a jump to the next level, maybe a number three starter down the line. That's pretty good uh, for Jamison Tyone uh, in a deal like that. If Roenzi Contreras can and take a similar jump and start showing some of, uh, you know, the durability that he did at Charleston and some of the other things as well, that could be big. And just keep an eye on uh, Michael Escoto for now. Um, he's not the headliner in this trade by any means, um, but he was somebody who performed really, really well in the Dominican Summer League. Now he hasn't been challenged yet stateside, so that's going to be a big deal for him. But Every once in a while, so, some of these guys that perform really well in the DSL and you think like, okay, but that's the DSL. That doesn't mean anything. They bring those results with them higher up the ladder. So that might be a lottery ticket that the Pirates end up working out. But that's why they took these four guys is that when you deep, deepen the amount of players you are getting, there's a slightly higher likelihood that one of them becomes even better and becomes a star uh, in ways we hadn't seen yet. So we'll see how things shake out. But for now, the Pirates definitely get a little worse at the major league side. Don't get me wrong. Trading a, a major league starter and somebody who was maybe a number one or even number two uh, for the Pirates in the past. Yes, he has injury issues, but still carried that torch before. 
the major league team is worse. The fire, Pirates farm system is a little bit deeper and that's what they need to be doing here for the Pirates in, in the coming months and, and years, really, uh, as they try to plan this rebuild. There are two teams in baseball who don't get together for trades very often. And uh, despite the fact that they're part of the, one of the most famous transactions in baseball history, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees made a deal this week in which uh, the Red Sox received Major League Relief pitcher Adam Adovino from his hometown, New York Yankees. Uh, the Yankees also dealt a prospect to the Red Sox in Frank German. And uh, full disclosure, Sam and I spent quite some time trying to figure out if that is the correct pronunciation of Frank's last name. Uh, he's from Tampa, Florida, and went to the University of North Florida. It's spelled G-E-R-M-A-N. It could very well be Herman, but we couldn't find anything on YouTube. The uh, North Florida baseball game notes from 2018 that I found did not have Frank's last name in their pronunciation guide. So we'll just call him Frank from here on out because I don't want to screw up the last name. But uh, a good relief pitcher the Yankees took in the fourth round uh, back in 2018 and a guy who was with the uh, Class A advanced Tampa Tarpons, among others, in 2019. This deal um, for the Red Sox, Sam, obviously the uh, the headliner is Adam Onovino, but, and we did get confirmation from the man himself, James Smythe, who is a statistician with the Yes Network. It is German. <laughs> it is not German or Herman uh, like Domingo or like uh, Herman Marquez, the, uh, the Rocky starter, Frank German. So good to know, Red Sox fans, put it down. You have confirmation. Um, Frank German being uh, maybe the under-the-radar guy in this deal, he's got a lot of upside. Yes. Well, he he has some upside in, in, in that he throws mid-90s. He's got the makings of an above-average changeup if things kind of come together, the breaking balls behind those two other pitches. So we'll see what how things are going to go. But you, you take that velocity where you can find it. And especially if you're the Red Sox right now, pitching is definitely where they have some holes in the system. Um, not only in the system, but at the major league level, he's a little far away for him, for us to be talking about him being a 2021 option uh, in that respect. But, you know, the Yankees known pretty well for, for getting D'Lo out of guys. He added a little bit. He has had shoulder problems in the past. He was limited by shoulder issues in, in 2019. What happens when he's healthy? We'll, we'll have to wait and see about that. Um, but if you're the Red Sox, I mean, getting Adam Ottavino for a year, he signed for $9 million. They also got, I think, $850,000 in cash uh, from the Yankees to help pay down that contract. Adovino is going to help that bullpen. And by taking on the contract and clearing the Yankees a 40-man spot, they were also given the pleasure of adding a pitching prospect in Frank Herman, or Frank German. Excuse me. Uh, we just went through all of that. Frank German. We're learning in real time. Yes. Yes, we are. And uh, on camera. But yeah, again, it's, it's just kind of another lottery ticket, but it fills a little bit of a hole uh, for the Red Sox. going to be interested to see what they can do with him now. Uh, they don't have quite the development success with pitchers that the Yankees do. So what type of different pitcher will German be now that he's in that system? We'll kind of wait and see. But again, improving the bullpen, improving the farm system at the same time, and only doing it because you were able to take on some money, it's a good place to be. And uh, it's just funny that this is the trade that this is the first trade between the Red Sox and Yankees involving a minor leaguer, never mind involving a, uh, you know, any trade. Uh, it's the first trade between the two sides involving a minor leaguer since 1997. They don't do that this often. So uh, 
we'll, we'll see how things are going to work out there in Boston. But again, you take the lottery ticket, you, you take Adam Adovino and Adam to your bullpen and uh, you call it a day. And uh, with the hot stove heating up, we will be sure to keep you updated, of course, on all the moves as they uh, continue the, the flurry that usually accompanies the final few weeks before spring training. Um, and in addition to transaction moves in the final few weeks before spring training, it's also the final few weeks, really the final week now almost, of winter league ball in uh, most destinations, and uh, including the Dominican Republic, which finished up its season last week ahead of the Caribbean series coming up uh, starting on Sunday, which will feature the champs from the Dominican Republic, Colombia, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Panama, and Venezuela. Whew, I got them all. I was very concerned I was going to forget somebody. No, that was good. That was good. And Tyler, you wrote up a piece kind of wrapping up Lidom, as we call it, um, and, and some of the prospects that were there and who stood out and who didn't. Wander Franco being the big name, but he didn't get to spend enough time there. So who else stood to you as you were putting together that piece? Yeah, one of the things that was interesting, um, you know, we heard so much about Wander Franco was going to be down there and Julio Rodriguez from the, the Mariners organization was going to be down there. Um, O'Neill Cruz of the, the Pittsburgh Pirates system would be there uh, playing for his, his hometown team or at least close to his hometown team. Those guys did not really have gigantic performances. Obviously, Wander Franco only got a chance to play in five games before the shoulder stiffness forced his removal uh, from the – uh, the, the Dominican league, um, Julio Rodriguez played in 18 games, uh, O'Neill Cruz played in 14 games, but there were some other names that are much more under the radar who I thought really kind of stood out, uh, sticking along the, the Yankees conversation, Estevan Florial, um, played in 18 games for Escojito and, uh, turned in a really strong performance. The, uh, the Yankees number 18, prospect i believe the outfielder um who are check that number seven prospect i was looking at the wrong line in my story uh he played in 18 games 283 73 420 was his final slash line uh for escojito uh the yankees pitcher albert abreu also really impressive very limited action but uh number 12 prospect in the new york organization uh made uh, just a handful of starts five starts he only pitched 19 and a third innings but Struck out 23 and 19 and third, um, limited opponents to a 152 average against him, and he put up a 2.79 ERA. One guy who really stood out, there's actually two players that I want to talk about, one ranked and one not. Um, Kelvin Gutierrez, who is a, a pretty low-ranked prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization, 24th ranked in that system, uh, he played – for the Gigantes del Ceballo and batted 396, 492, 604. And he only played in 17 games. Uh, I believe a, a health issue kept him uh, on the injured list for the majority of the, the rest of the season. Uh, but really impressive numbers from him. And then this is a guy who I thought was maybe the most fascinating one who I heard about uh, from the Dominican League. Joe Denand, who is a prospect in the Miami Marlins organization. I had an American League scout text me that he nearly won MVP. He is not a prospect that you might be aware of, even if you are a Marlins fan. He was a second-round pick back in 2017. Um, he had been a ranked prospect up until the start of the 2019 season, uh, but he went down to the DR this offseason. It was his second season, I believe, uh, in lead-on play, and he batted 319, 398. 542 with three homers and 12 RBIs. He played in 21 games. Um, 
really, really impressive stuff from him. And uh, now uh, Aguilas gets to move on after winning the uh, the league championship, their 22nd championship uh, in Dominican League play. They will move on and play in the Caribbean Series, which will feature, as I mentioned, the six pro- or six uh, championship teams uh, from the, the Latin American Winter League uh, circuits. And they will match up starting on Sunday, the 31st through the 6th of February in Mazatlan, Mexico. So, yeah, this is the first in a series uh, we're going to go through the uh, the winter leagues in Mexico and in Puerto Rico and in Venezuela and Australia, uh, in addition to the, the Dominican Republic. So be on the lookout for those. We'll have more of them coming to the site over the next few weeks. And, and one thing I want to point out about Joan and Danan too, nephew of A-Rod. Right, right. N- knows a little bit of, about uh, – hitting and, and playing third base and all that kind of stuff. So uh, a Miami native. He went to NC state and, uh, and was chosen in the second round of 2017. And yeah, really impressive uh, athletic talent and um, a guy who, you know, if you're the Marlins organization, you already feel good about where you are in terms of your depth in the system, but maybe somebody else who gets uh, pushed into the mix here over the next uh, couple of seasons. So with that, our final topic of our opening segment this week as uh, we are going to dive into a a new announcement for Major League Baseball, which uh, deemed this on Monday, quote, Major League Baseball and USA Baseball on Monday announced enhancements to the joint prospect development pipeline to feature a lineup of evaluation and showcase events for 2021 and 2022 MLB drafts, including the first ever MLB draft combine for high school and college baseball players. Additionally, the PDP League, a development and assessment opportunity for high school players eligible for the following following year's draft will return following the cancellation of the 2020 event due to the COVID-19 pandemic. These programs, which will be hosted at the USA Baseball National Training Complex in Cary, North Carolina, will strictly adhere to health protocols and other safety measures that are consistent with all state and local regulations to protect all participants and on-site personnel and maintain the integrity of the individual player assessments. This is something that, uh, Major league teams, I think, have really wanted to have an opportunity to create for a while. The combine will go from January or from June 20th to the 28th. Um, High school and college players will be there, especially this year with the potential complications in uh, scheduling all across the country at all of the amateur levels. This is a step that kind of centralizes the scouting process ahead of the draft for major league teams um, and provides a little bit more of a streamlined. scouting situation uh, in a world that has been tipped so upside down uh, from what we're normally used to at this time of year, getting set for those final few months of draft evaluation. Yeah. And I I think it it is a little confusing that release that they put out from my understanding, it's that the combine in North Carolina is going to be 88, just high school players. Um, And that's going to be chosen by all the organizations. They're going to come together and decide who those 88 are. Um, But it's also going to involve the draft league, which is new for this year. Um, which we talked about here on the show. And the draft league is basically anybody who's eligible for the draft um, can participate in that league. It's kind of like a summer collegiate bat league, but it's also going to be open to prep players if they are draft eligible, also junior college players as well. Um, But they're going to have like combine activities as part of the draft league too. So it's not going to just be, you, you see the NFL and they have their combine usually in Indianapolis. It's um, guys coming in and doing the cone drill and doing the 40 and, and doing throwing accuracy and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to just be that there's going to be kind of like satellite combines as well, um, which is great. I think, especially as you mentioned, Tyler, like having one central event after the last two years have been wiped out 
uh, due to COVID, a lot of high school play has done that. It's one thing for guys last year when at least there was junior uh, data and junior, junior scouting to fall back on um, with some of the bigger prep names. Now for the guys going into the 2021 draft, who knows if they're going to have a spring season. It's, it's going to depend on their local you know, rules and regulations. But for most of them, they lost their junior years as well. So they're going to need somewhere to measure themselves up against top talent from across the country. This is a chance to do that. It's, it's not just the drills. There are going to be games involved. There's kind of a mini tournament. There's going to be a gold medal game and a bronze medal game. How much that's going to matter, who knows? It'll matter to the guys playing, but that's about it. Um, but it's still, you're going to be able to see how can somebody from North Carolina handle the velocity of somebody from Arizona, for example. Um, that's, that's great for these guys. Hopefully it's, it's going to be used more positively than negatively and, and help guys stock more than hurt it. Um, but uh, it's just another event on the draft calendar and, and something we can all look forward to here in North Carolina in June. And speaking of things to look forward to, uh, our very next segment, which is uh, one of the newest members of the minor league managerial family, Christopher Negron, who is the new manager for AAA Tacoma in the Seattle Mariners organization. Chris Negron joins the show next. Well, the Seattle Mariners organization earlier this week, one of the most talented systems in baseball, announced the player development staff and uh, coaching staffs for the ranks throughout the minor league uh, side of the organization. And we are delighted to be joined by the coming up in 2021 first year manager of AAA for the Seattle Mariners, which we expect, of course, to be the Tacoma Rainiers, longtime partners at the highest level in the minors for the Mariners. And that is Christopher Negron, a guy who spent some time uh, in that system, spent some time in Seattle, and uh, now gets a chance to do it on the managerial side. Uh, it's, I guess we we can call you Skip now. Do you like all the cheesy managerial nicknames? Absolutely. It's funny <laughs> you say that because uh, as soon as it was announced, I got a bunch of texts and calls saying, hey, I'm just going to call you Skip or Skipper from here on out. <laughs> And uh, it's pretty funny because starting last year in spring training, we joked around that since I wasn't a player anymore and I was essentially in that clubhouse with all my teammates and now I'm a coach, that um, everybody just started calling me Mr. Coach or, or Coach Negron everywhere just to make it a point that I'm not a player anymore. So I'm, I've been running with it, so it's all fine with me. They really like to drive it home for you that, uh, that the playing days are done, I'm assuming, the, the guys in the clubhouse. That's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to joke around with them. I said, don't play around all find a way to activate myself but i'd probably hurt myself trying to do that now <laughs> well let's talk about this move so as noted um last year uh you're you're done playing for the first time and you know the the strangest year that any of us can remember in a in a baseball standpoint um you were not going to be part of a, a coaching staff for last year but you got to be on the player development side working under Andy McKay um who we've had on the show before and uh we've talked to a bunch throughout the years whether he was with Colorado or now with Seattle and the various positions that he's had tell us about what it was like last year transitioning into the player development side and especially doing so in such a strange year tell us about your role last year yeah, it was it was it was a it was a very learning experience, a huge huge learning experience. Um, and again, I was under, I was with Andy McKay, you know, the majority of my time, and talking to him on the phone and emails and just being around him. And he's such a smart person, so being able to be um, kind of an understudy to him for the year, I just I it was just learning nonstop. Um, but no, it was it was a very unique experience because it was mostly front office during the um, 
during the lockdowns. When I showed up to spring training, I was doing a lot of on-field, kind of a hybrid, both front office and on-field, um, kind of in big league camp. And then when we got shut down, you know, things quickly turned into more front office since there wasn't really any baseball on-field going on. Um, so kind of getting a, that kind of perspective of everything was very eye-opening, and I learned a lot. And it was a very unique experience. And then as the year went on, um, we went to summer camp. Um, I started transitioning to a little bit more on-field because that's just the way that things were kind of going right now because the minor league baseball season didn't happen. Um, so kind of dealt with a little bit of that. And then when the alternate site um, got up and running, you know, I was lucky enough to head over there with Andy, and he kind of schooled me up on a little bit more on-field, more of the coaching side of it. And it just I started falling in love. Yeah, and, and especially from that unique 2020 perspective, what surprised you most about the player development side, you know, working in the front office that maybe you didn't know in your many years on the minor league side? It's, it's, it's very interesting because since I was able to be on the front office side, definitely it's a different perspective than, than being a player. So kind of didn't know what exactly I was getting myself into when I'm sitting in on meetings and all that stuff. Just kind of, it was just trying to soak it all in and learn as much as I could, but just to, just the whole group we have here, front office-wise, player development, like everything, just to see how much uh, they care and how much effort that they put in to, you know, put these players in the, in the best situations and, and, and give them the best coaching and the best information to get them to the big leagues and, and, and be successful. So just seeing how much they cared about their people and, and just the process of how they go about things and not worrying about, like, the results of everything, but just making sure everybody has the, the, the correct process and the right mindset. So that was very interesting. And at what point did they come to you or did you go to them saying, uh, you know, a manager's job w was in the cards for you? Because as, as we said, uh, your last game in any capacity was September 29th, 2019, not very long ago. You're turning 35 on February 1st. So happy early birthday on that. But um, <laughs> at what point, like, did you come to them and say, hey, I want to be a manager someday. Did you expect it this quick? Or did they come to you and say, hey, we like what you've done. We want to give you a job in the dugout. Yeah, it was just a conversation Andy and I had um, a while back. And it was just kind of gauge of my interest. And, and again, like from every, all the work that we did at the alternate site, just kind of being boots on the ground and, and, and helping those guys out there, you know, develop and, you know, telling people they're going to the big leagues. Like that's all – it was all the first for me and it, I just really gravitated to it. And I think Andy realized that and saw it and, and something came and you know, this position came up and, and it thought it would uh, fit well for both of us. So many guys, Christopher, growing up kind of have, I think an idea that, Oh yeah, I could be a, I could be a manager. I could be a coach someday. It's something that I'm interested in. And for other guys, it's something that I think comes along as the career develops. Were you, when you were a younger guy, um, you know, whether in, in high school or Juco or getting, you know, into the, the professional ranks, did you feel early on like coaching was something that you would be interested in, or is that something that more developed along your, your playing career? I think it developed a lot more as I, as I kept playing throughout the years, because in those younger days, there was no doubt in my mind, I was going to spend 10 years in the big leagues and, you know, be set for the rest of my life and not have to worry about anything. But the longer you play, the more you realize that, the, you know, the odds of that happening are not very high. So um, the older I got, um, I was lucky enough to play a long time. Um, I was lucky enough to play in the big leagues. But as I got older, I really had a lot of, I started getting a lot of fulfillment, a lot of joy helping out a lot of the young players, whether it was in AAA or, even when I was in the big leagues talking with the young guys. So that, like, that really, it gave me like a, a different type of fulfillment and, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I think as I got older, kind of being that mentor and kind of coaching people along is something I really connected to.
you got to play at a bunch of different levels and in a bunch of different systems and and you make it to the big leagues with a handful of teams and um, all of that exposure playing in so many different organizations and all that I would imagine probably lays a really good foundation for when you get into the the coaching and managerial side do you feel like uh, from you know whether it was your time with the Red Sox or the Reds or the D-backs or the Dodgers or the Mariners did you kind of be could you pick things out from each system that you liked um, that you want to incorporate into your coaching style? Obviously, you guys have a philosophy with Seattle, but I would imagine you learned a lot at every different stop that kind of molds you into this next stage as a manager. Yeah, it's it's just as you're just when you're playing, you're picking things up from other players and all that stuff. And as I got older, you start seeing the way you know, your managers and your coaches start doing things and, and you kind of pick up on that. And I was lucky enough to play for some great managers. Um, played with David Bell, uh, manager with Cincinnati, was actually my double A AA and triple A manager with the Reds and Rick Sweet. And uh, it's just I've been exposed to a lot of a lot of great managers and 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 kind of and I and a couple of them already contacted me once this was announced. So I'm looking forward to picking their brains more and and kind of learning from everything that goes on. And kind of along those lines, then, w- with all those managers you've worked with and, and what you've been able to see um, from that side, how would you describe what you think your managerial style will be? Um, well, I know it's just going to be focused on the process. Um, I think that's something that, that, that is controllable. Um, that's something that we preach here in Seattle is that you can't be result-oriented. You can't just go hunting the results and worry about all the results because that's just going to eat you up because you can't control those factors. So as long as we're focusing on our process, um, I mean, that, that's the way the results are going to come, whether it's your, your mental preparation, your, your, your practice plans, um, worrying about the, you know, the 15 seconds between pitches, taking a deep breath, getting to the bottom um, of your funnel. It's just all things that you can control. And the more you prepare for those situations, the, the results will come in time. And, and sticking sp- uh, strictly to the AAA level, you're somebody who made their AAA debut in 2010. You played there every year all the way up until, like I said, your final year in 2019. That's basically a decade of, of AAA games, and, and managing at that level it is its own monster in itself. What are you going to take from your AAA experiences and bring that to your version of the dugout? Yeah, like you said, I've... I've been in this situation whether it's triple a and being up and down for a long time so um i think i can relate to almost everything if not everything that that these players are going to be going through whether it's on field off the field um i've had two major surgeries um thinking that i wasn't going to be able to make it back um i was blessed and lucky enough to make it back so i've been through all different types of experiences so just be able to 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 you know help these guys get through the toughest times because we all know it's, it's a grind you know, being called up, sent down, um, not playing every day. Like, it, it, it takes a toll on you. So I feel like if they have somebody that they can relate to and, and talk to and learn from, you know, it's just going to put them in a better situation. And your debut, your Major League debut, came June seventh, 2012, with the Reds. Um, you mentioned before getting to work at the alternate site. Last year you got to talk to some of those guys about getting that call up. Um, but what do you remember of your first promotion to the bigs and now that you're the manager, and that is going to be a very big piece of your job, is starting the dreams of some of these players. How do you think you're going to handle that moment? Um, I, I, I can't wait. Um, I got a little taste of it at the alternate site, but being able to call somebody in and, and tell them that, you know, hey, you're going to be able to live out your dreams of putting on a big league uni and going to the ballpark, um, it's, it's a special message. Um, I, it's one thing that 
I wish every single person could could feel that um, inside them when they're when they're told that because it's it's unbelievable. It's kind of surreal. It's kind of hard to explain that feeling, but to be able to, to tell somebody they're going to be able to live out their dreams is is extremely special. So you know, I embrace it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You get a couple guys uh, on your staff, and Roy Howell and Rob Marcello, your hitting coach and pitching coach, who are back. They would have been on that staff last year had we had a season. Um, you also get to add a, another fellow young guy in Eric Young Jr. on your staff, which I think is so awesome. And, uh, you know, we've been fortunate, I know Sam and I both, uh, to, to talk with EY for a couple of stories. And um, he's just, you know, like his father, one of the game's absolute gentlemen. Um, to have somebody else who's kind of, you know, forged a similar track in his career, played in a bunch of different organizations and, um, you know, gotten experience at the major league level and all that, and is a young guy like yourself, how excited are you to have all of these different varying points of view and, and points of input for you as a manager that are going to be on that staff with you? Oh, I'm going to be leaning on everybody. Um, I, I, Roy Howe is an unbelievable person. He was actually my hitting coach when I was playing in Tacoma. Um, he's a great coach, uh, played in the big for a long time. He's got tons of experience underneath his business belt, knowledge in the game. And um, and Rob Marcello, he's on the up and up. He's a great pitching coach. Um, I'm excited to work with him. I was with him at the alternate site, and he actually taught me a lot um, from the pitching side because, you know, again, I'm a hitter. So he's really filling that, that void for me. Um, and like you said, EY is an absolute stud. I love EY. played against him a little bit in the big leagues, um, in the minor leagues, and then we actually played together in 2019 um, there in Tacoma. So – being able to, to, to both have similar experiences to, to share with the players uh, from a little bit different perspective. You know, not everybody's route the same, but there's so many holes that, that each one of our staff members can fill and help these players out and impact them. And, um, you know, speaking of that staff, you, you guys are probably moving to Tacoma, like Tyler said. It's been an invite, but that's all but buttoned up basically at, at this point. So what memories do you have of playing in Tacoma and – playing at Cheney Stadium in particular? You ask anybody that's, that's been around in the PCL that Tacoma is one of the more fun places to play. Whether the first time I went there, I think it was in 2017 when I was with um, the Reno Aces. And, or did I go with the Cubs? I can't remember. He's either 16 or 17, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm getting old. 35 on Monday. <laughs> but I know the feeling. <laughs> but no, it's, the fans there have always been electric. They always draw well, um, which who knows? I don't know what's going to go on these times now, but it, the, the surface is always unbelievable. It's great. The, the people there, everybody, it's always a joy, whether you're the home team, away team, clubhouse staff, everything about that is unbelievable. Downtown's great. Um, I can go on and on. Like, I absolutely love Tacoma. Even when I wasn't even playing for Tacoma or not managing in Tacoma, like, as a visiting player, is always one of the one of the places I look forward to going to. And speaking of uh, Tacoma and, you know, it, it's tough to project right now. The Mariners non-roster invites just came out today and we, we don't want to get too much into the speculation business about who's going to be with you on opening day. But the way things shake out, you know, this is a definitely an exciting Mariner system already. But a lot of these guys could be a triple A between Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, Cal Raleigh. Even if they don't start out with the club, they could be with the club at some point. Um, you know, given your work with some of these guys at the alt site, how are you planning to work with them and really finish off their minor league careers before you send them off to Seattle? Like you said, the, the, the group we have um, in the upper levels is, is truly special. Um, the Kalanicks, the Gilberts, the Cal, um, it's, it's, it's very exciting to be a part of. And 
just to kind of, if I can do, if I can impact them to just give them that little extra hump, that little extra confidence going um, into their debuts, uh, whenever that may be, um, I'm going to do it. Whether it's, you know, helping them on the field, uh, helping their, 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 their mental game, um, being a leader, you know, a teammate, like whatever it is, like these guys are truly special. Um, and any way I can just give them that, that little bit of nudge and development to get them up there and have them stay there. That's the main goal. And, and kind of piggybacking off of that, I just want to read you this quote that Andy McKay gave yesterday or this week anyways at the Mariners virtual baseball bash, um, which was he was talking about you and you were taking over of Tacoma. And the quote goes as follows. He knows that for him to be a successful coach and realize the dreams that he has as a coach, it's really going to come down to his ability to have hard conversations with players to tell them the truth. Part of that was because you are going to be managing guys you've played with. Um, but also, again, just to go back to telling them the truth, what does that mean for you? What, how is that going to work with with some of these really top talents who, you know, have, have are being told by everywhere outside that they are some of the top talents in baseball? Um, what is the truth going to look like from you? That 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 is that is going to be something that I'm really going to push forward um, on doing, it. and it and it for for personal reasons. You know, I, you know, everybody likes to be liked. <laughs> So it, it, it's tough to tough to give the truth sometimes when you want everybody smiling on the same page. But at the same time, that, that helps with development. Um, you have to be able to, to talk to truth. Some you got to be able to sit them down and be like, hey, this is the things we need to work on, um, whether it's uh, Kellenic or anybody else. It doesn't matter. Um, and as a player, that's something that, that uh, that's all you ever wanted. You want you want to be told the truth. You want to know what you need to do to, to get to where you want to be. And whether in it's always good to, 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 if there's any issues along the way, you know, before you have to, to, to patch the boat up too much, you know what I mean? The good truth along the way is going to save issues down the road. So it's something that we, we strive in is, is, is telling the players the truth and, and just kind of, sorry, I'm walking outside right now. I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> Again, old age. But um, it's just something that, that, that we strive through an organization to, to give these guys every truth, every information to, to get them where they want to be. All right, Christopher, last question for you. First, before we get into it, it makes me feel exceptionally old to hear you say that you are old because I was telling Sam this yesterday. I was a broadcaster in the Carolina League from 2009 to 2011, and in 2009, you were on the Salem team. I was the radio guy with Myrtle Beach, and I'm pretty sure you guys went like 40-0 and against the Pelicans that year, and uh, anytime we saw Salem on the schedule, I was like, well, this is not going to be fun. Um, so now to know that you are uh, have graduated into your managerial career, and uh, and I got to call your games in like your third year in Pro Bowl, and I realized that I'm still like nine months older than you, uh, I feel ancient, so I want you to know that. <laughs> well, I do this apologize. is Tyler just going through his own stuff. You don't have to answer any of that, Christopher. Don't this worry. is just me juggling with That's my own fault. mortality. I, I gotta, I, you're nine months old. i got to respect my elders. I do apologize. <laughs> you're a good man. Oh, oh man. I did like, I did like Myrtle knife. Beach, though. I did like Myrtle Beach. <laughs> It's a great spot. It's a great spot in a good league. There are a lot of good destinations in that league. Um, but oh, yeah. I have to I have to wrap up on this question. And we got it from our friends at at Lookout Landing, uh, the one of the the Mariners mm-hmm. uh blog sites. They asked me to ask you about your quote stylish transport to the ballpark this past season. I have no idea what that's in reference to. Oh, so we were in we were in Seattle, and I think it's what they're referring to because Andy McKay got a kick out of it too. I had a uh, an electric longboard. What? So instead of 
have, that sounds yeah, awesome. So, yeah, I'm retired now, so I was able to get a longboard, and now if I can go down, it's fine. I can still coach. I don't have to worry about playing. <laughs> that was my theory. And I told myself, I was like, man, I've been running around for years and all this stuff. Legs are getting tired. I've had knee surgery once. You know, I, need, I need better transportation to the yard. So I go on Amazon, find a little electric longboard that had decent reviews, bought it, sent it to uh, the hotel there in Seattle. And the next thing you know, I'm just have my coffee in one hand, music on, and I'm just cruising up and down the streets on the way to the field. <laughs> Does that it get more Seattle awesome. than that? I have my coffee in my one hand and I'm just cruising on the way to on my longboard on the yeah. way to T-Mobile Park. That is that is amazing. It's a lot of fun. I did go down one time though. Nobody saw it. I looked up for cameras, <laughs> but I was trying to get through one of the gates and it's a shorter longboard, so I put my my weight on my back foot and next thing you know, everything goes yard sale. Coffee goes everywhere, headphones came out. I land flat on my back and I look around and there's nobody around cuz we're the first ones in there, the staff in the morning. I'm looking around and nobody sees me. I don't see any cameras, so I kind of played off. Had a little coffee stain on my shoes, so I was able to brush it off and be all right. Nobody knows that either. I have not told anybody that. So that's funny. <laughs> Stories out, secrets out, everyone. I did find a picture. Andy McCabe put a picture on Twitter, and it is magnificent. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, that's fantastic. I would not. I would fall every single time I attempted to get on something like that. So that's uh, that, that's I, when it admiration. hit me that that that. That's when it hit me that my athleticism went down as soon as I retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favorite things about you is your Twitter header photo is, uh, well, it's a very aptly termed header photo because it's you diving mm -hmm. uh, after a ball <laughs> with the Dodgers face first in the grass. Do you remember that play where that moment was? Oh, yeah, I was in Miami. I was playing right field. And I tell you what, I got a good beat on that ball in the gap, too. There was no doubt in my mind I was going <laughs> to snag it. It was going to be sweet. I'm running after the ball thinking this is going to be at least top three playing on TV. And the ball gets caught up in the lights. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I put my glove up and keep running. You know, it's going to eventually come out. And when it did, it was almost past me. So I made a last-second decision to dive for it. And, yeah, didn't really slide at all. Just kind of got caught up. And next thing you know, I, I rolled over, my bill's facing sideways. And I look at, I look at Pollock, who's our center fielder. And I was like, hey, is my nose crooked? And he just looks at me and goes, no. I said, all right, cool. And he said, but you're bleeding everywhere. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> so it was, I don't think I could forget it, but I, I made the joke after that. I'm already funny looking as it is, so it didn't really matter if my face got banged up. It's never a good sign when you have to ask the question, hey, is my nose crooked? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't feel good. That's, I, I just remember I hit the ground, my bill was sideways, and the ball wasn't in my glove. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is amazing. Christopher Negron, the new manager of AAA in the Seattle Mariners organization, which uh, with the Tacoma Rainiers, uh, I noticed a, a couple weeks ago, you tweeted Epic Sax Gorilla. You're going to be uh, now ba essentially ballpark roommates with the Epic Sax Gorilla in Tacoma. And oh, yeah. um, we're super excited for you, man. And congratulations on, uh, on all the success. And when we get a season rolling here in the next few months, uh, best of luck and enjoy every minute of it. We'll be watching. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Much love. Despite it being an audio format, as we explained earlier to you, we are doing a, a visual element uh, to the podcast this week, which makes it the first time that we've gotten to see Benjamin Hill's glorious hair, which he has not cut since before the pandemic. 
uh, I cannot tell you how envious and impressed I am by that by that head of hair, Ben. It's uh, you're covered it up with a little bit with a hat today, but it's it's incredible. Well, thank you, and it's it's likewise. It's good to see you too, uh, Tyler. You're in a uh, darkened closet, it looks like, and it's uh, <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> And uh, Sam is uh, in a beautiful uh, ballpark at Sunset. Is, I assume that's is that Fenway. At uh, City Field, yeah. No, City. Oh, yeah, look at that! Now you're back. Yeah, at City Field, of course. That is not Fenway, but you know, hey, we haven't been to ballparks in so long. I forget what ballparks look like. Um, yeah, well, it's good to see you guys. And yes, my hair is beautiful and glorious. Uh, I cut it before the day before I went to the winter meetings in 2019. I cut it under this, like, you know desire to be like clean cut in an industry event and now it's uh late january 2021 and it still has not been cut and uh, a lot has happened since then and here we are talking to each other on zoom in late january and haven't been to an office in nearly a year and we all know this it's crazy what a world <laughs> what, what a, a world. time um well there is uh, much to discuss with ben this week as with all weeks and unfortunately as of the last several weeks it feel like it feels like we have a conversation like this weekly now about a, a hall of famer who has left us. And um, last time around, we were talking about Tommy Lasorda and uh, you know, we talked about uh, Phil Necro and, and all these different minor league legends uh, who turned into major league legends and their bodies of work. And for those who have passed um, Ben's taking a look back at some of those and um, Hank Aaron obviously left us uh, as of last Friday. And there's a great story. Hank Aaron did not spend a lot of time in the minor leagues, actually made his professional debut uh, in the Negro Leagues with the Indianapolis Clowns before being signed to a, a professional contract. But uh, he integrated the South Atlantic League, which a lot of people probably don't know about his minor league career. And even though he was only in the minors for about two years, a really uh, incredible couple of years that was for a guy who became one of the, the most household names in all of American sports. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, I've done quite a few, uh, you know, historical articles lately, and I was planning on taking at least a small break from them. But then, uh, you know, when someone of Henry Aaron's caliber dies, I just felt like I could not uh, ignore writing about him. And um, I mean, I know I speak for a lot of people in baseball, but I found myself really affected by his death and just thinking about the career he had, the life he lived, uh, truly what an impact he was the impact he had on the sport and, and American society at large. And, uh, you know, I, I, for one, hope that, you know, Major League Baseball honors him, you know, not just, uh, you know, the Braves organization or the Brewers organization, but I hope all of Major League Baseball honors him and what he accomplished. And, uh, I mean, I, if you're going to retire another number across Major League Baseball, I can't think of a better one, you know, beyond outside of after Jackie Robinson than, than uh, Henry Aaron's number 44. And Roberto Clemente is 21. Anyway, these are all discussions for another time. But um, yeah, I, I started poking around in his minor league career. Not very long, but because Hank Aaron is Hank Aaron, uh, there have been a lot uh, written about it, a lot of uh, you know rabbit holes to go down, which I'm constantly going down. And I found a lot of great information in this article. I hope uh, you know if people haven't read it, I think you'll maybe be able to get a lot out of it. Um, yeah, in eight, the age of 18, he started uh, in 1952. He played for the Indianapolis Clowns, the uh, Negro American League. And in June of that year, he was signed by the Braves organization, who were then the Boston Braves, in their last year in Boston uh, before going to Milwaukee. And uh, as, as soon as he signed with the Boston Braves, they sent him to Euclid, Washington, or Wisconsin, that had a team in the Class C Northern League. So that's where he started his affiliated minor league baseball career, um, you know, faced white players for the first time in 1952. 
and um, you know tore up the league in just the three months he was there. Uh, Carson Park, uh, where he played in that 1952 season, is still in use today as the home of a summer collegiate Northwoods Northwoods League team, the uh, Euclid uh, Express. So a statue of Henry Aaron is in front of the ballpark that still stands where he made his debut in 1952. And there's a whole book about just that summer in Euclid. Uh, you know, so that has a lot of information, obviously. I found a nearly full-length documentary about that, uh, all sorts of tangents to explore. He was actually one of three Black players on that 1952 team. Uh, and then one of them, Julie Bowers, you know, never played in the major leagues at all, and he was 26 at the time. Uh, so I could go on and on, but just finding information about people like that, like about Julie Bowers. Uh, he also played with uh, uh, West Covington there and he went on to play uh, you know they went on to be teammates with the Milwaukee Braves you know pretty soon after that and uh, so he you know he made a real impact there in 1952 1953 he went to Jacksonville and at that time they were Jacksonville Braves they were a South Atlantic League franchise now the South Atlantic League in the 50s is not the South Atlantic League of today the South Atlantic League of the 50s is what eventually became the Southern League of today so it, it gets complicated but basically the history of the south atlantic league of the 50s uh became the history of the southern league double a circuit that is today um so again i could go off on a lot of tangents regarding that but 1953 was the first season that that south atlantic league was integrated and uh there were five uh black players who played in the south atlantic league in 1953 uh three of them were on the jacksonville braves uh Henry Aaron, Felix Mantilla, and uh, Horace Garner. So he was one of three players just on that team alone that integrated. And again, I found a lot of great information. Uh, the house that those three guys lived at uh, in the Durkeyville neighborhood of Jacksonville is still standing. Uh, back then, it was owned by a nightclub owner. You know, this is obviously during the uh, Jim Crow days. So it was a segregated, you know, it was a, a Black-only nightclub. Um, or maybe not Black-only, but, you know, almost mostly um, patronized by black people who are excluded from going elsewhere, but uh, a man named Miguel Rivera and uh, Henry Aaron lived at Miguel Rivera's house during that 1953 season. Uh, so again, just, you could just keep going with, uh, you know, the people he interacted with uh, the kind of uh, experiences he had, but he tore it up in the South Atlantic league in 1953. Uh, the team won the South Atlantic league championship. He won the MVP award. He led the league and, you know, hits average, um, not home runs, but he had 22 home runs and then he was in the major leagues to stay beginning in 1954. And um, I believe as Sam pointed out in one of his tweets this week, um, you know, Hank Aaron played between 1954 and 1976 in the majors. And he made the all-star team between 1955 and 1975 in every single season of his career outside of the first and the last. Um, so that's what we think of when we think of Henry Aaron. Uh, but he did have those two years in the minor leagues. Uh, Euclid, Wisconsin, Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, a lot of things to explore. And I really enjoyed, uh, you know, exploring it as much as possible. And I hope people get something out of this story and maybe find some information that wasn't covered elsewhere, uh, just because it's so specific to those years uh, that are kind of overlooked in the larger scheme of his career because he accomplished so much. And as we know, um, because we talked about this a little bit on the show before and you've written about it, but I want to bring it back to this. Now, Hank Aaron has more connections to the minor leagues, more than he just played there. He was the Braves, Braves farm director for a little bit uh, in the 80s and 90s. But for those who remember the Mobile Bay Bears, 
it was named Hank Aaron Stadium. You've been to that stadium, Ben. Not only that, you were went to his house that they moved across the street. Um, and you were there, was it the opening? Like you were there when so many stars were there to celebrate Hank Aaron and and that house and that stadium. What do you remember about that day and that time? Yeah, I remember a lot from that. Um, and I was gonna include that as a postscript to this story, except I wrote so much just covering 1953 and 1954. I felt I couldn't spin into this uh, 2010 uh, minor league baseball related postscript. But Hank uh, Aaron was a native of Mobile, Alabama. And uh, you know, as I'm sure a lot of listeners know, Mobile was home to the Bay Bears in the Southern League um, for, for about 25 years. And that team is now the Rocket City Trash Pandas. They re- relocated following the 2019 season and would have made their debut in 2020. But the Mobile Bay Bears, their ballpark was called Hank Aaron Stadium in honor of Hank Aaron. Of course, Mobile native, greatest player to come from Mobile. But a lot of great players came from Mobile. That, that city has a, a really strong Hall of Fame legacy. And in 2010, that was the first season that I was full-time as a writer for MILB.com. The first time that uh, I went on any sort of ballpark road trip, you know, in an official context. And what I did for my first trip was to start the 2010 season in Mobile, Alabama, for the opening of the Hank Aaron Childhood Home and Museum. So what happened there is Hank Aaron grew up in Mobile in a small house that was built by his father, uh, Herbert Herbert Aaron. And prior to the 2010 season, Uh, The Mobile Bay Bears, in conjunction with the city of Mobile and some other partners, uh, physically relocated that house, put it back together on the grounds of the ballpark, and filled it with memorabilia from uh, Hank Aaron's career, and uh, also with a lot of period-specific furniture from that time, you know, that, that would have been in that house in the late 30s, early 40s, and it was a really amazing thing. So at the opening of Hank Aaron uh, Childhood Home and Museum, Uh, That was the 2010 Mobile Bay Bears home opener. And there was this incredible A-list group of Hall of Famers there. Ricky Henderson, Reggie Jackson, Ozzie Smith, Willie Mays, Bruce Suter, Bob Feller, uh, Bud Selig was there. Um, It was just unbelievable. And I was the only national writer there. I was on my first ever sort of assignment as a traveling writer. And I was uh, completely overwhelmed, but for that reason, it will also be one of my uh, most memorable experiences of my career, meeting uh, Henry Aaron and all those Hall of Famers, getting to interview quite a few of them, seeing the speeches they made on the porch of Aaron's childhood home, and uh, just being a part of that event was truly one of the most special things I'll ever take away from my career, no matter how long it lasts. Pretty incredible legacy for Hank Aaron um, and one that is uh, maybe deeper than almost anybody else who's ever played the game of baseball and a great story from Ben that is up on the site right now. Um, Shifting gears, Ben, let's talk about uh, what we've kind of come to start calling and I think you sort of coined this on our end, but it sort of feels like the endless off season from uh, 2019 to 2021. You got a great story that you're working on right now about how teams continue to um, put out, uh, whether it's social media presence or content on the websites and all that type of stuff. Um, You are focused on the Myrtle Beach Pelicans of uh, the Chicago Cubs organization and uh, kind of what they've had going on to just try to stay in contact with the the community and with their fan base. Yeah, you know, as much as I enjoy these history articles, I'm trying to do, uh, you know, some more here and now type articles as well. And um, I saw on TikTok, well, I'm not on TikTok yet. I should be, but I, I still 
one thing led to another and I was uh, saw that the Pelicans have a great new series on TikTok that's kind of a week in review just showing what the team does um, every single week in a minute long TikTok series that just uh, in a really succinct way says, here's what we did, you know, everything from, um, you know, staging ballpark events, uh, private events, to cleaning the ballpark, to organizing their memorabilia, to staff meetings, to birthday celebrations. And I thought, hey, that's really cool. Like, because right now, especially with the schedule still not out, everyone seems to be in this state of suspended animation. And I thought it was a really cool example of a team trying to show its fans and, uh, you know, their followers on the internet at large, just kind of what their jobs are right now at this uh, strange moment in time. And uh, Hunter Hornstein, who runs uh, social media for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, um, he's someone I've known for a number of years, um, you know, real dedicated uh, guy, who, you know, who works really creatively, especially in the realm of social media. So I got in touch with him at first thinking we talk about this TikTok series, but we talked for a long time and it turned into just a long, longer conversation about just doing social media uh, in this endless off season, you know, from basically during a time period that especially starting in March, uh, has been really strange uh, with no season at all and uh, the pandemic and the larger restructuring of the minor league baseball landscape uh, been really tough for teams to navigate that as it's been tough for a lot of people to navigate in their own realm. And uh, so I'm just kind of an overview of the strategies the teams employed, how they stayed creative, um, you know, how you also just navigate your own mental health and well-being uh, when you're trying to also run social media across, you know, multiple platforms uh, you know, within a job and what that never really turns off because the internet doesn't turn off. And uh, so we touched on a lot and I'm now just trying to uh, make it all make sense in a uh, relatively short form article. And that's what I'm working on right now. But uh, I think people, you know, who work in minor league baseball and people who follow minor league baseball teams would be interested in just, you know, what goes into it and uh, the general strategies and uh, the rules of engagement such as it is. Um, you know, the teams employ to stay connected to maybe uh, even more so than usual, you know, minor league social media can often be informal, but even more so now um, really establishing the human voice behind it, uh, communicating in a way that makes uh, people feel like they're communicating with a person and not a anonymous, you know, brand, uh, you know, how you uh, maintain that voice. And uh, it's a lot that goes into it. And it's uh, always an important part of an operation now, you know, these days, and especially now, when there's literally nothing else there, there's no game at the ballpark. So the best way right now to stay connected with the team, find out what they're doing um, in the community and just, uh, you know, you know, for their followers all across the country is through social media. So a lot goes into it and uh, yeah, writing about it right now. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's biz, all the stuff at MILB.com slash Ben's biz, the future father which I did not get to in the intro because I was too uh, busy gawking over your hair. I understand. Sometimes it's just too many things to focus on at once, but we get to it all. Thanks, man. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Enjoy your uh, night at the ballpark. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Before we get out of here, uh, we did want to spend some time and remember another member of the baseball family uh, who passed away last week. Ron Johnson spent a whole bunch of time coaching in the minor league and the major league ranks with the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox, the Baltimore Orioles, um, and he passed away due to COVID-19 and is a guy who were only two days uh, beyond his passing now and the outpouring of emotional remembrances 
for Ron Johnson on social media over the last few days uh, from everybody, from teams that he worked with to, to players that he worked with. I saw the news first broken by the Norfolk Tides, uh, the AAA affiliate in the Baltimore Orioles organization for so long. Um, later on, I saw Adam Jones, the longtime Orioles star, uh, post a remembrance of Ron Johnson. Just uh, a guy who you can tell based on people's uh, comments about him was beloved by everybody it seems like and uh somebody who we've had to bid far too many farewells to far too many people obviously not just in baseball but in every walk of life over the last year um and ron johnson it really feels like one that hits the people who he knew and he worked with extremely hard yeah i mean you want to talk about big personalities in baseball ron johnson was it in the, in the best way i mean you stick around baseball as long as he did you mentioned tyler his times in the royals red sox and Oriole systems. He started out in 1992 in baseball city, technically in the, the Florida state league uh, finished up with, with Norfolk ended up being Norfolk's winningest manager of all time. He was their longest tenured manager. Uh, you get those jobs because people like being around you because, and especially being a triple a manager, we just talked about this with Christopher Negron. Um, you have to develop relationships with your players. You have to get them to buy in. You have to, get them comfortable before you ship them off to the major leagues uh, and to see the, the types of names that were coming out in support of him. This was not just quad a players or players from years and years ago. It was Adam Jones. It was Zach Britton um, guys who are established major leaguers who are saying like, I really enjoyed my, my time with RJ. I probably couldn't be where I am today without his help and his guidance and just the fun he brought to the ballpark. Um, that, that that matters in sometimes in a long slog of a season just being a fun guy to be around a trustworthy guy to be around over 140 plus game season that matters for something and there's a reason why ron johnson stayed around these places for a long time um, he'll be greatly missed by a lot of people in the orioles organization anybody who worked in the international league and needed a quote for a while ron johnson was your guy for that um just an all-around really good human being based on anybody who was around him for any number, any number of time. Um, and yeah, he'll be missed across minor league baseball for sure. And uh, that just about brings us to the close of this week's episode of the show. Before we get out of here though, Sam has this week's nationwide prospect fact of the week. Yeah. So I, I do want to stick with Christopher Negron. We, we talked about him um, being around AAA for a long time himself, obviously as a player. Uh, I mentioned in the interview that his first, Triple A season came in 2010, so that's a pretty good bookend. He went 2010 to 2019 at the AAA level. Um, digging into some of his numbers, two things stood out to me. Uh, in that decade, in that decade of the 2010s, he ranked sixth in AAA plate appearances. Uh, he got 3,291, and he ranked seventh in hits at the AAA level with 746. Again, this is somebody who has plenty of experience at that level. He's going to know what his players are going through on a daily basis because he experienced it for 10 years, the highs, the lows, the injuries, the call-ups, all that. Um, so this is the level of experience he's bringing to it. It's not just in words, it's in deeds, and it's in the numbers here. And that is your nationwide prospect one fact of the week. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We will talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 